0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Nunes is an Absolute Podcast.
1: I'm your host, as always, John Casella, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy, I think our last pod was in 2019, so happy New Year. Uh, happy, uh, Syracuse! really someone's basketball is the most fun team in all of basketball. Happy uh, NFL playoffs, if you are, are still involved. Nope. Uh, <laughs> happy last bowl of college football before the national championship is going on as we speak. Shout out to the Rajan Cajuns and the Red Hawks.
0: Yeah, it's uh it's a new year. And we uh while women's basketball decided that they were going to uh, embrace a new you um by uh pulling out tight games against uh against good teams, uh Syracuse men's basketball decided the same thing they were doing. And that's uh, losing games in excruciating fashion. This time around, it was uh, excruciating because it was close, not because we just got completely outmanned by a, uh, a
1: comparably talented team. No, I, it's weird because like Notre Dame's not great this year. They've had their own issues, and like they needed that one about as much as we did. Um, it was their first ACC win. They lost both of like the early weird early season games. Um, it's weird that I kind of feel better about. Our team after this one even though it was a really close loss um just because like I think the offense looked more cohesive and like had a more of an idea um than it has at many points this year um I thought we actually got like really good stuff from Quincy Garrier um unfortunately the defense I think is still going to be an issue I, I saw someone tweet that for the first time since 2017 our defense is ranked outside the top 110 palm which is an issue like we've seen some kind of floating things with this D where like there are some really good games when like some teams to get really hot. And we, we really struggled to defend the perimeter and that was the case here. Both teams shot 15 for 31 from three. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, it wasn't a good loss by any means. Um, but I, I do think like offensively, there were some nice things to take away from it, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's really upsetting where you can't make one more stop and get the win.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I was actually surprised by how long it took for Syracuse to fall out of the top hundred. Um, you know, if you look at just how many poor performances have been put in, how many poor performances in, have been put in, in the paint, um, you know, on the perimeter, like you said, you know, Notre Dame did really well from outside, just like SU did. And I think that's promising, but I don't think Notre Dame's defense, um, you know, is all that much to write home about obviously too. and I know you and I have talked about this in particular, like when you look at a really hot shooting game, uh, like this one, like Joe Girard, four of nine from outside buddy Bayheim, seven to 12 um Elijah Hughes was actually the quote-unquote weak link there at three for nine and that's still a pretty good percentage um the problem of course is not only did Notre Dame hit from outside but John Mooney was also able to eat us alive um 11 and 21 from the field one and two from three five and nine from the free throw line um had 14 boards really came on in the second half um six of those were offensive boards um uh, there were 17 offensive boards for Notre Dame in the game like We didn't lose the rebounding battle by that much, but it did just look like we were getting absolutely killed on the boards. Um, You know, say what you want about that uh, that call or no call um, at the end of regulation, but I I think realistically, like you know, just don't put yourself in that situation. In in all honesty, I think SU had every chance um, to take this game. I think that. You know, for the most part, I think there was maybe questions officiating wise, but overall, like I thought that, you know, SU did get did, did get a decent amount of breaks on fair calls. I thought that it really just came down to, you know, can you make a stop? Because realistically, like they hit almost 50% from three, they hit almost 50% from the floor. They were shooting well from the free throw line. It's, it's really just, can you make a stop? Can you get a rebound? And fortunately, um, the answer for this team more often than not has been no.
1: It's it's really an interesting team, and it, I think it's going to, at least the way it's trending right now, look more and more like that 2016-17 team. Um, in that like our offense actually is up to 33rd in 10 pound, which is probably the best it's been in a long time. The problem is you can't have that paired with like a big defensive drop-off. Cause even these last couple of years where we've kind of limped into the tournament and then maybe made some noise, maybe didn't, like our defense was pretty routinely like top 20, top thirty, and we could win like your' sixty two to fifty eight games uh here and there, and even like give some really good teams fits um like I love having more offense, but the offense like also isn't i don't know it doesn't feel consistent to me even with that thirty third mark um and you know when your defense is susceptible to giving up like every twenty five foot three because our two guys at the top of the zone uh are pretty slow to rotate over and i, I do think buddy and Gerard have had like decent moments, but like clearly this is probably our weakest defensive backcourt in, in a long time since that you know, I, I, I'm not going to like go back and compare it to the, to the white, uh, Dylan, whomever else was in that backcourt. Um, it's hard to do year over year, but like those guys were first year in the program, uh, learn, you know, trying to learn the zone on the fly. kind of made sense why it wasn't as good this year. Um, you know, Buddy's in year two, but you know, he's not as athletic as many of the best guys that we've had at the top of the zone. Uh, Gerard is a little smaller first year in the program. Freshmen often struggle in it. So it kind of makes sense why it's not as good. Um, and i think we could be getting more from the five spot uh, S- uh is just games where he really struggles down there um i kind of hope we see more quincy at the five honestly he's so athletic he really challenges shots well he seems to have good body control down there i know he's probably a little undersized for what we want but um i do think he showed some nice things so hopefully if that comes around uh, a bit more maybe we'll start winning some of these games um but you know it, it's we're, we're getting to the point where like you're going to need probably like a if not an ACC like tournament title um, like a significant run with a lot of midwins down the stretch here. And otherwise like we're going to have to chalk this one up to like a developmental year and hope, hope that's what this is. And it's not just like kind of a lost season, which it may be either way.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, we'll get to the, I think the future stuff and, and NCAA tournament stuff in a little bit. Um did want to talk about Quincy Garrier before we, uh, you know, left the Notre Dame game. Uh, Garrier probably had his best game so far. Um He started to put some things together. Had 10 points he was 3 for 3 from the floor he hit a 3 he also had uh three free throws five boards and assists three blocks also had four fouls however um, that said like definitely looked like he was starting to piece it together in 17 minutes um he was active on the floor i thought that he was uh, like you said like getting getting minutes you know in, in the paint in, in a place where there's not really a lot of it's not there's not a lot a lot of activity but there's not really a lot of production like dolejai has turned into a really consistent you know nine or ten points per game guy now um, which is something we were hoping he'd build toward last year um i think he's now like solidified himself he's even even made himself like a really great distributor too and maybe the team's best uh which is good and bad but yeah we need somebody else to help him out with a little more size and like Gary doesn't have necessarily more size but um he might have a little bit more athleticism i think dolejai manages to um make up for the maybe lack of athleticism in places with like the, you know, hustle want to and things like that. The intangibles that you ne- can't necessarily put on a stat sheet. Um, I do think that if Gary can come through and this is something you and I talked about last week, like that changes what this team does offensively and makes them a lot better and, and, and a lot more dangerous. Um, I don't know what it does defensively though. And that's going to, again, just going to become the problem. And that is um, how this team starts to look more and more like that 16, 17 squad um if not worse on the defensive end if only because Lydon was actually a pretty good defender on that team at least
1: yeah it's tough to know because like I think Gary like has the ability to be really good on the back end either at the four or the five he's so athletic I could see him even when he's late rotating over he has enough length to like you know kind of be able to make up for it by by you know getting out on someone in the corner pretty quickly um if you want to put more at the five because he just kind of knows what he's doing down there although I I, I kind of think he's getting so valuable offensively it's it's tough to like you almost want to alternate them because you don't want one of them put with the the like foul uh, risk of playing the five um, and I, I should have mentioned Brett's offense before like 13 10 and seven I will sign from that uh, for that from him every night he made some nice jumpers. Um, I think the offense is like pretty legitimately flowing through him and then the the two like coast to coast fast breaks he, he did himself. He looks like such a confident ball handler now even in the open floor and that was such a big gap for him. Like you did not want him handling the ball on a break like that before this year. Now, I mean, he, he stored in transition and it looked really flawless, which was awesome. Um, so I do think he's starting to break out kind of the way we thought he might after that impressive freshman postseason. Um, so that's nice. Like, there's just a lot of like good things to take away from this team. And it, it's frustrating that like we couldn't pull it out. Cause I think even if we win this game by, by one or two people would just have a much different mindset looking at like a nine and five, two and one record. Um, and I really hope this doesn't end up being like a swing game for us.
0: Yeah. I mean, we have to play Notre Dame too, um, on the road, not too far from now, uh, which sucks. I mean, this is the end of this ACC schedule is, is really tough. Um, we have winnable games in here. The problem is we're losing them. Um, I think the Virginia tech game is looming large now on Tuesday, uh, tonight for those listening, uh, it's at home, thankfully, but Virginia tech is actually, I think a much better team than we thought they were going to be going into the season. Um, uh, they've despite losing most of their team from last year uh, and being predicted to be, you know, bottom three finish uh, they've actually looked really good. They've already, uh, you know, grabbed some good wins against uh, Michigan state. Uh, they beat Clemson early in the year. Clemson's no world beater, but at the same time, just like beating an ACC team that early. Um, great, great stuff from them. They're another team that we have to face. I feel like all of our, um, every swing that we have to, we face an opponent twice. Um, I feel like we do end up like facing them like back to back or not back to back, but like in pretty close proximity to one another, which is problematic. Um, I know I mentioned this in the uh, the preview article, well, the predictions preview article um, one potential problem here is going to be that if we happen to lose this game too, and I hope not, um, then we're on the road against Virginia and suddenly you're looking at eight and eight. Um, I don't see, I don't see a, a way out of that necessarily um I mean I, ha- I haven't seen a way out of this in a while <laughs> but I, I really don't see a way out of that um and I think at that point you're also maybe even struggling to get to the NIT um, if only because um there's just not a ton of like clear wins left on the schedule
1: yeah it's just a really it's it's weird because like the ACC looks so so like just iffy across the board this year even Virginia doesn't look all that great like they're down to number 18 now they obviously are still a team you don't want to face for a, a number of reasons but they don't look like the virginia of the last four or five years um but they play us so well in recent history basically uh, since that tournament game that uh, uh you know I, i'm not going to say that we have some great chance against them even if like defensively we did really well against the first time um La tech is is like interesting they're definitely a lot better than people thought uh going into the year um but like Aside from their Michigan State win, I don't think there's a ton to be super impressed with. Like, Clemson's okay, but Clemson's like a team we should beat down the stretch. And then they didn't really play anyone else. They lost three straight to Dayton, BYU, and Duke, which is the toughest stretch they've had so far. Um, so they have one really nice win. They just got handled really you know, easily by Virginia. So, I mean, it's certainly a winnable game. Um, probably one we we need to win to kind of stay in middle of the pack ECC contention. And then you just kind of hope that the... The bubble is so, so weak this year, which is certainly possible that we, we sneak it at some some point, probably with a – we probably need a deep ACC tournament run at this point unless we go like – unless we win like 12 games in conference. And even then, I think nothing's guaranteed. Um, Honestly, just, I it's, don't even see 12. I, I, think, just I like, think
0: in this ACC, you've got to go 14 and 6.
1: I've, yeah, I always team up for dinner, so there's 20 games this year. Um, it's such a – just the, the non-conference is such an issue for us. Like if we could have pulled out one of those – Iowa, Penn State, Georgetown, Oklahoma State games. But you, like going 0 and 4 against your four biggest non conference opponents is just so brutal, especially when none of them were particularly close.
0: Yeah. I mean, getting blown off the floor at Georgetown, the two neutral site games, like, you know, stomping Georgia Tech doesn't really fix any of that. And and I again I I I'd struggle with, with that non conference slate and the way it turned out. I don't know how you do I don't know how you finish any worse than 14 and six in league play and even get yourself into the conversation. I think 13 and seven, depending on who those are, like maybe, um, but realistically, like there just aren't, what what I keep, what I've kept saying to people too on Twitter and in the comment section, when I've been talking to them about this team and their NCAA tournament chances is like, there just isn't this, you know, raft of like, you know, high net rating slash RPI games left. Um, and, And there's not all these opportunities on the road. All of our best foes for the most part are at home. Save the last Virginia game. Like, they're just, uh, you're not going to be able to get in without those quality wins. And like we saw what happened, you know, again, going back to the 2016, 17 team, like that team had three, to be honest, top 10 wins um, on that year. And they were all at home and they got left out of the field. Um, I think this year they're not even going to have that because they're not going to have that opportunity based on the schedule. Um, And so I, I don't see how they make it in. I mean, the only, again, the only Chance at redemption here is yeah going to be um, a pretty miraculous run in the ACC tournament, and and maybe that's more feasible than normal because you know the ACC is down. There's only a handful of teams that are really that great. Um, but if you get the wrong draw, you could end up just facing you know like teams or you know similar to bubble teams that really just moves you up in the conversation, but doesn't really move you into the field.
1: Yeah, it's it's also like if you want to compare to obviously. They're super different animals, but like in the college football playoff, when people, when the committee is only looking at essentially like three teams, honestly, to get into the field, like at the end for the four seed at most, like usually it's, they're down to like one or two, maybe three. Um, It's very easy to like compare narratives. I think in the, in college basketball, when you're looking at these, like what a, a bubble of like 12 teams to get like the last however many spots, like trying to compare a narrative which is what Syracuse kind of needs at this point in terms of like oh they are very young they got a lot better over the course of the season um becomes very murky and it's just a lot easier to point to net numbers or whatever other metrics they want to use um and if those things are going against us it's just hard to see a pathway uh without like an automatic bid and you know maybe you but we have Duke once this year only I think Right. Uh, yes, Duke's once. Yeah. So maybe you beat Duke and then, but like the problem is like you don't even have like UNC out there. Does what we very well may beat UNC and UNC might finish under 500 this year. Um, but like unless you go like beat Duke, win at Florida State at Louisville and like just really go in hot into the ACC tournament and then maybe get to like the semifinal of the final and and make your mark on like a bunch of national TV games. Maybe then you could start doing it. But um, I also think like people are almost going to be tired of putting us in in this situation. Uh, And it's hard to really know how that all works because the committee, you know, same with football, like they just never really show their hand. They kind of, like they put in the teams they put in, and then they kind of craft their own narrative around what they did afterwards. Um, So yeah, it's just, uh, there's almost like a relieving quality of like get, we're almost out of it so early that if we sneak in, like it's great, but if we don't get in, it's not going to be like as much teeth gnashing as years past um but it's still at the same time kind of a weird sensation to like be watching these games and and not know if any of it like truly matters for the postseason the the one the one time the one thing that really matters in this sport uh as we talk about all the time which you know has its good and bad um it you know draws a lot of eyeballs but you it's a lot of eyeballs that have no idea what's happened for months and months and and you know probably a thing they could stand to try to balance out a little bit more
0: yeah, I completely agree there. I think that's a conversation we've waded into before and, and we will certainly wade into again. Um, this Virginia Tech team, though, before we move on to some football matters in the second half, um, again, interesting group, not the best group, uh, definitely playing better than they have. Um, obviously, you know, when you have one guy averaging 17 and a half points per game, um, that definitely helps a lot. Um, They don't have anybody else averaging double figures, which I feel like should play into SU's hands a little bit. The main problem is that um, I think their guard play is significantly better than ours um, and they're actually a pretty solid defensive team. So that's really going to be key. If we can shut down the guards uh, for Virginia Tech, um, they don't really have anybody in the middle that can do a whole lot. They have some great rebounding guards, um, which is good for them, but realistically they don't necessarily have the size um, to eat us alive the way that, um, other teams with you know dominant big men have been able to
1: yeah i mean this is really like the landers nolly show he's the one guy uh, averaging seventeen point four game he shoots forty three percent from three and has like a decent amount of attempts um he's if you can limit him you should be in decent shape um he's one of those good rebounding guards uh 5.8 a game so he is probably gonna be a problem i could see him kind of finding the underbelly of the zone he sits seven so he can probably get over the zone too if he needs to um he's gonna be a problem for a while he's a freshman um so he's really the headliner uh and as you alluded to like beyond him there's just kind of a litany of guys who are like between five and nine and ten points a game um they uh go relatively deep um they have what seven uh sits dies over twenty minutes a day, and then another couple in the teens. Um so it's it's uh it's not like a super uh you know you're not you're not seeing like your 10 man Miami rotations, but they'll they'll definitely spread things around more than we do. Um, which you can probably say about every team on our schedule because we have uh really flo- floated back into the you know sits and a half man rotation now. Um hopefully <laughs> Gary a continues to eat miraculously of- yeah who could have seen this coming um even though we talked about how we you know thought it might be different this year it's like a it's like a bad relationship <laughs> uh no i mean we basically have four uh three guys who are playing uh 40 minutes a game now um gerard you know will get spelled maybe once a half uh and then sita and and garrier keep timing pretty directly split minutes now uh, hopefully twincy can start to take on more than 50% of those. If he's plays the way he did it in Dame. I think that's very likely because parama like Beheim, wants to keep Barama on the bench so bad and just can't quite do it. He just doesn't have the personnel because, especially with Braswell's injury now, um, which stinks uh, probably the right move um, just based on like chronic leg pain. That doesn't sound like anything anyone needs to be playing basketball through, um, especially in a limited capacity. So hopefully he gets back for next season. Um, Vatek, like, uh, their advance numbers are actually really similar to Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame was 57th and 76th, then offensive and defensive efficiency. Vatek's 56th and 89th. They actually ranked below us. Uh, we're 62nd overall. right? One one spot below Notre Dame, appropriately, after we lose by one. Um, so Vatek is at a very nice 69th uh, overall. Um, so on paper, like, I think F, uh, BPI has a, like a 63% chance to win, which you can take or leave as you may. Um I think this just feels like another coin flip game, honestly.
0: Yeah, I buy it. I think overall it's just going to come down to, you know, a couple of bad bounces or good bounces, uh, hopefully in our case. I think SU will be able to out-rebound them potentially, um, but don't hold me to that. Um, I think that you could see Jalen Cohn um, be the random guy off the bench who gets hot from three.
1: Uh, I meant to look into
0: (laughs) – Oh, yeah, 53% from three um on uh on 19 of 36 attempts uh so if you're looking for someone who's going to torment us in this one uh
1: there's your man plus he only plays 13 minutes a game so like he's done a pop-up but like yeah that's exactly the guy he's like the perfect he's like the sta the, the the prototype
0: yeah the, 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 there's no doubt in my mind that that, that he's the guy
1: <laughs> hunter, hunter uh Couture is probably a little too obvious he's yeah 43%. He, he, plays,
0: he plays too many minutes
1: yeah um he's 25 57 but i think he just plays too many minutes as you said he's at eight points a game so like i wouldn't be surprised to see him at like you know he drops in 14 he's a little more active than he usually is cone is a guy who is either not gonna store or he's going to store 25 and uh you know we we all know how this works
0: yeah yeah the, uh, the, the jack he's ferguson also
1: 510 five, 10 <laughs> freshman like this just oh yeah this is was-
0: jack ferguson special <laughs>
1: He, uh, his, his season high is 17 against, uh, the mighty Delaware State, uh, Hornets. Hornets. Uh, they, right. yeah, he was, uh, five for seven from three in that game. Um, I don't know that Delaware State plays a two three. I'm going to assume they do not. Uh, scored sort of 100 against them. So he was, uh, he had a nice night there. He has had three games over 10 points. So make it four. I am, I am, I am horrified.
0: Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> all right uh why don't we uh call the basketball talk there we'll do a little halftime uh right after talking hearing from our sponsor and we're back um dan why don't we chat a little bit about beer before we dive into some interesting football happenings
1: cool um so not a ton this week i can't remember if i brought up the uh flamingo dreams nitro by left hand okay uh i think i brought that up last week but uh I couldn't remember if I had that before or after recording last Monday. Um, but then uh, I think the main things I had that weren't pretty common, uh, Toted Tiles from LAC Beer Project, which is over the last like couple of years, become one of my pretty solid New York City staples. Uh, and then today I had a uh, Persian Lime Doza from Two Roads up in Connecticut, uh, part of their Tanker Truck Sour Series, which I've had before. Um, I don't know if uh, they changed it from last time. I, I didn't get as much like, kind of saltiness which i think cuts the the sourness uh so i didn't love it as much as i did the last time but i don't know if like it was like a weird tap line or whatever but uh still a pretty good drink so uh and two roads usually i'm pretty in on whatever they're doing so uh not a ton of new stuff but those are probably the highlights
0: very nice uh not a ton from me uh last weekend well i guess this includes uh new year's eve too um, had some New Belgium Fat Tire, some uh, Deschutes Pacific Wonderland. Uh, went to the Clippers game um, over the weekend. No, sorry, the Lakers game over the weekend. So I went to the Clippers like a month ago. Um, had some Alpine Duet. Uh, had some uh, Bavic Super Pills. That's uh, really good. I always enjoy seeing that one on. So it's pretty widely available, I think. Um, had some Angel City Pilsner. And then had some the last can of uh, Beechwood Brewing uh, Double Gator, uh, double IPA. Um, that I had. Um, so good collection. Uh, nothing crazy. Was saving up for a uh, birthday coming up this, uh, this coming weekend. So I'll have uh, plenty more to report next week.
1: Nice. I got a, I have a, now a single cup bomber that I got as a, a secret Santa gift. Um, I forget which one it is off the top of my head, but uh, I am choosing to try to age it, even though I do not have the best, uh, <laughs> The best uh, situation here, since it does dead hot everywhere. I can keep it in a dark place, so I'm just sticking it in the fridge, and that'll be kind of a half-assed effort. But I'm gonna try to do it uh, for a year, um, and then I just realized, and I hadn't seen this before. Untapped has a like a a kind of a you know their Spotify year in review type deal, uh, but for beer, obviously, uh, had 186 beers from 100 186 unique beers from 109 uh, different breweries last year. So solid work on my end, I think. Nice.
0: All I don't right. know that's
1: totally comprehensive, but I think it's pretty close. So I'm usually good about checking in on like definitely new stuff. Stuff I have all the time. I usually just skip.
0: I'm trying to think. I know it was, it was on here. I don't know where the hell it is now.
1: I saw it at the top. I hadn't clicked on it before. So I don't know if it disappears for you after the first time. Yeah. That's but it's untapped.com slash urine beer. Yeah. I feel like
0: it's, it's gone for me, but nonetheless, I know I had quite a few and I, I drank a lot more dad beers in the past year which shouldn't surprise appropriate yeah i had quite a few pilsners and loggers they were they were my main uh, consumption. consumption a few other things but yeah if, if i find uh if i find that graphic somewhere on my phone or on the app online i'll uh i'll tweet it out maybe
1: yeah i've definitely been more on loggers than i had been recently they're just like so comforting and like so consistent generally pilsners still like you know there are some that i like a lot but still not like my go-to unless you know outside of specific circumstances.
0: Yeah, I'm just, I mean, I know we talked about this like a year ago, That like, you know, the, the Pilsner lager, uh, you know, outbreak that, that's starting to go. Oh, found it. Anyway, um, total check-ins for me, 423, uh, 324 uniques, 120 different breweries. And yeah, it was uh, Top Styles. Where are we? Okay, most checked in styles, IPA, pale ale, New England IPA, double IPA, Pilsner. exactly exactly
1: what everybody thought before yeah i I didn't show the styles my top five styles were ipa pale ale ipa or double ipa new england ipa session ipa very (laughs) very boring of me um i was surprised more sours than yeah i mean it's just like you know if i'm at a place that i isn't like a great beer bar and i want a beer like i can pretty reliably find like an okay ipa versus like yeah Um, I'm trying to mix it up a little bit more as we enter 2020.
0: Don't blame you. Uh, Speaking of mixing it up, uh, Syracuse football, mixing it up um, significantly, maybe more Um, over the weekend. We learned that Kim McLeod, the longtime uh, Dino Babers assistant, will not be back. Very surprising. surprising. Yeah. Like I did not expect that at all. I know in my like, uh, like coaching staff, like hot meter or whatever, he was on the like definitely coming back list. Uh, So that was very shocking. Um, I know at the same time, like you could have maybe seen it coming if only because he's like, he's coached on both sides of the ball. He was demoted from assistant head coach last year. Um, I don't know if that's more because Lustig like deserved the jump and we needed it to keep him. Uh, But in any case, yeah, he he's gone, unfortunately for him. Um, We'll see on us. And uh, Rocky long was on campus today, Monday, um, though, you know, Pete Thamel seemed to seemed to like indicate that maybe they were talking defensive coordinator, but then afterwards like kind of backpedaled around whether they were actually talking about the defensive coordinator job.
1: It's really hard to know exactly what Thamel was trying to insinuate with that second tweet. Um, because he said, like, Rocky Lawn is San Diego State's head coach, but like the only way he wouldn't be is if he accepted the job and Maybe right. he's going back to discuss with his family. Maybe he's going back to discuss with the school. Maybe he rejected it. Like, it's very tough to know. It's interesting, I think, at all, that he was on campus at all because it does make me think that we're shooting higher than uh, maybe what we previously thought at D.C., which is good. Um, Rocky Lawns, like, one of the best defensive coaches in football. Um, has done an incredible job at San Diego State overall as a head coach. Has, you know, a consistent top 20 to 30 defense in all of college football. Like it would be a slam dunk higher. There are some questions about like, not his age, but like where he is in his career. Like what would he be aiming for by leaving a pretty nice G five head coaching job for a tough ACC defensive coordinator job? Would he be like, how, how aggressive on their green shell would he want to be? Um, et cetera, et cetera. But I think if that's a move that is like an option for you as a Syracuse, you make it like 10 times out of 10. Um, so it's very interesting that it even came up. Uh, certainly not a name that we expected at all. Um, I would still love that hire overall. I think it's a move you you just have to take a shot on it if it's presented to you. But it's very unclear if that's like over now or or if like it's still kind of being discussed.
0: Yeah, I'm very confused, um, as is everybody <laughs> else, I'm sure. Because, um, yeah, I'd love to hire Rocky Long. I uh, I've watched quite a few SDSU games over the years. Um, and I've always been impressed with, uh, what they put on the field. I know, uh, for me, like I was looking through like defensive stats, like the counting stats are, are, are phenomenal for San Diego state. And even if you look at the more advanced metrics is to adjust for strength of schedule. Um, he's had a top 40 defense five times in the last like seven or eight years, uh, which is pretty damn good. And it's still better than like what Syracuse has been able to put on the field most of the time. Um, So I'd really like to explore that if it's an option. I mean, he's, is turning 70 soon. So there's that potential concern, but realistically, if he's able to resurrect the defense um, and, you know, get us wins in the process, like I don't see this as a bad thing. And if he's able to hire like a really good assistant that can recruit well, that's somebody who could potentially, you know, take his place when he decides to hang him up. Like San Diego state's not the most stressful city or job um, realistically, but at the same time, like I'm sure being a head coach at any, you know, FBS program, uh, takes its toll after a while. And if you still want to stick around coaching, but not, you know, necessarily, um, deal with all the rigors of the head coaching, uh, role, you know, there's, there's worse places to be, I guess, than, uh, in Syracuse, uh, him and Dino don't have any overlap directly, but I'm sure they have some overlap, um, by way of just the fact that, um, they both spent a lot of time in Southern California. Uh, I'm just in general, like really curious about this one, like seemed like some of the, conversation going and under it so like mike McAllister was indicating that um it was never an interview or a pitch uh he was just hanging out to talk football um one of the comments to that and i agree with it uh is saying that's a long way to talk about football because i agree um you're not gonna fly from san diego to uh, syracuse new york to talk about football um without like no common opponents and like
1: no real overlap in terms of, like, like, Syracuse and San Diego State have about as different college football experiences as you can possibly get in just about every way.
0: Yeah, and also they're not playing each other realistically because, like, I mean, at least if you want to trust what, you know, both Dino and John Wildhack said out here in L.A. even last year, where both of them said that, like, the West Coast, because it's not a recruiting area that they focus on, is just not a target um, at the moment. Um, that was not just directed at UCLA and USC, but I think San Diego state was involved in that as well. Um, SDSU would not be high on my list of teams to face, not because I don't want to see them out here cause I do. Um, but because realistically, like it doesn't make any sense to face a really good, uh, Mountain West team when there's virtually no benefit to you, um, as a program, if you're going to face a really good, uh, G5 opponent, there's plenty you could do in recruiting areas that you're active in. Um, and provide you with um you know exposure to uh potential recruits um alums, things like that I think out here uh the alum vote is really the only thing you're getting,
1: yeah, and like we've done the USC trip out there and not to say like it wouldn't be nice for the alums in the l a area like you to like get more than once a decade, but there really isn't a lot of benefit um outside of like if you had won that u s c game out there it'd be really cool, but and we have a holiday and we have a holiday bowl tie in now. Yeah, so that'd be fun. Like, that's totally fine, and and that gives the people a nice excuse to it out there. Hopefully, you know, I, we probably wouldn't be ten wins of the Holiday Bowl. We're probably like eight or nine, but you you know, you get people excited. Don't make a nice holiday trip out of it, um, kind of like we did with the Citrus Bowl last year. We showed up super super well, um, but yeah, it's just it it doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think this I, the only logic here is that it was some sort of like informal at least formal enough for rocky to fly seven hours probably um to meet with Tiradino uh minimum
0: because there's no direct flight
1: (laughs) yeah for sure um so yeah and it's not like he's you know chartering a private jet for this so very interesting um I also, like, to someone brought up in the comments of, of the the post on the site, like, Rocky's making, I think, just short of 900k, and obviously, if he's going to take the drop off to DC at a P5, like, there's a chance he's okay with some kind of a, a cut, but, like, if if he's, if, if we're at all in his price range, like, that's a pretty good sign, too. If Dino was, like, going to pony up, you know, 750 or 700, even, like, that's probably more than we would have thought.
0: Yeah, I'm very curious I know you and I have kind of bounced it around before like like what exactly like
1: what exactly is the budget for
0: assistance? I mean, we don't even know a a firm figure on what Dino is making. Never mind the assistance. I do feel like if we don't get like if we don't have at least six or seven to throw it each in an OC and a DC, then it doesn't really matter. Like then it doesn't matter who's the head coach, but at some point like you're going to lose everybody on staff um and it's going to be harder and harder for Dino or any head coach to succeed
1: even if you want to say like OC it's a little less pressing because Dino like has so much of a hand in play calling although that came into question this year um DC for sure like you want to spend on that position um especially with you know the kind of ups and downs we've had since Dino took over even before that obviously um but I think that would send a really obviously they're not gonna release figure numbers at Syracuse but if you could, it would almost benefit Syracuse to both pay a DC that much and then somehow get the info out that they're paying a DC that much. I think that would go a yeah, long way. Yeah, just like it to, to one of the many, the many people that, you know, has is pretty tight within the media. Um, that's just hey, it's uh, like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> like, shoot on an email. Works <laughs> um, the, that is, that is media. Um, no, I mean, like there, there's no real downside, like. Aside from Syracuse just being weird about money stuff, um, there's a real downside. To being like, "Oh, Syracuse is playing ball now." I'm kind of surprised yeah, Dinos I, didn't leak. Like, we have an idea of what it is. We've heard, but like, there's nothing. There's nothing also happening. the like. There's also like the leaked tweet about the how long the extension was. That too, but like, there's not. There's never been any like. No, there's no official no number. Right. There's no like you know Famel tweet like Babers is making that's for that's years. Um, yeah, I
0: mean, granted, we'll find out soon enough. Like the tax returns are going to come. Um, right soon so we'll know at least we won't know 2019 salary for another year
1: the extension was after 2018 right it was after yeah so we'll probably have to wait another year for the first year of the extension
0: yeah we'll learn 2018 salary this this year early this year and that doesn't Um, even tell us
1: the whole story because that doesn't tell us like uh if things are weighted heavily at the front or the back or what so it's it's not as clear-cut as a public school um as as you expect um but yeah i mean they're they're i think like the rocky long news at all i'm taking as a positive um it it both is a positive that like maybe the reason we haven't hired a dc is because we can think we can do a little better than what's been reported out there not that i think like the brian norwood thing would be a bad hire we've been very high on that throughout Um, we would like to
0: hire brian norwood though let's do that before there's no other names left
1: yeah, I mean, eventually people need to start hitting the ground on recruiting and f- finishing up the 2020 class. Um, I do think, like, the one reason I'm not freaking out too much is that the national championship, kind of like in basketball, uh, although we have so few staff changes there, uh, which is a t- another story for another time, um, uh, the college football national championship does serve as, like, a major meeting point uh, for a lot of coaches. Um, and then the the coaching, uh, the t- actual coaching convention, I think, is soon thereafter. Uh, sometime around this around now and that's when a lot of these hires are made especially at the down the the, down the line hires so you probably want to get your coordinator settled so that you can then fill out his staff beyond Mm -hmm. who's already here um but i think if we if we don't have a dc by like the 15th i'm probably going to start getting a little a little worried
0: yeah that's kind of what i was telling people like a couple people have asked me directly like you know should we be concerned yet and like i'm a little concerned i think that if norwood was the guy um I feel like that hire would have been made by now. I know that the holidays kind of complicated matters a bit. The holidays plus the Army-Navy game like the, and, and recruiting, there was a lot of things that kind of – And
1: Navy's bowl was like weird yeah. weird time for – usually they're earlier, I think.
0: Yeah, threw a ton of wrenches in, in, in the works. That said, like, yeah, if, if, if we still don't have those spots filled um, by the time, like the national championship and like the days after, I think the 15th is a good marker. Like if the, if the 15th comes and goes and we still don't have anything – um a you can assume that guys like kavanaugh are sticking around which no comment and and b um yeah that also means that we're really struggling not to hire for that position and if we are um that means that su doesn't really have the salary and that means that this is not going to be an easy necessarily like fix this offseason
1: yeah so it's it's you can really see it either way like if you want, I think the rosy picture and the, both of these are, are valid. Like we don't know. Um, the rosy picture is like, we have Norwood in the back pocket. We hear guys like Rocky are interested. We're like, hold off, Brian. We're going to, you know, see what's up with this. Because obviously if you have the chance to hire, you know, one of the five to 10 best G5 head coaches as your DC, like I don't know where you, you you do it. So um, if that's the case, I'm, I'm, you know, happy. We're, we're flipping over all the, all the rocks out there. Um, if, we don't hire Rocky Lawn and then we don't hire Brian Norwood and we don't have a coach in like a week and a half, then I'm like, okay, let's, this is not great. Agreed. Agreed. Um, Why don't we call it there? Uh, I feel like, well, I'm
0: very hopeful that something happens on this front in the, uh, in the coming days. I know uh, next week for all we know, we might have a potential Syracuse football schedule stuff to talk about if the uh, ACC keeps to its usual uh, timeline, but we'll, we'll cross that
1: bridge when we get there. Yep, can't wait to officially find out. We're opening with Clemson. That's gonna be uh right. lovely. <laughs> yeah, if you. It's be the year after when Lawrence yeah. is gone. Like that'd be so much more fun. I
0: mean, admittedly, Although, we we look better against Trevor Lawrence two years. That's true. We did against Chase.
1: Honestly, I think, and this is a this is a, a a torture of a take, and I admit that. I think not having to face Travis Etienne again, Etienne, uh, is I I feel better about that than potentially not having to face Trevor Lawrence.
0: That's fair, especially early. I feel like Lawrence is slow to warm,
1: yeah, I mean, that was the case this year. maybe he comes out, runs a blazing next year, but e t n is just like every time he touches a ball, it could anything can happen, like mostly good, but he's just so disgustingly talented, and Lawrence like you you know especially early in the year, like you can bait Lawrence into some stuff and he could be cold to come out, so yeah, that's my that's my flaming hot uh week one twenty twenty take. <laughs> So we're just going to
0: lose by 24 instead. Trevor Lawrence is bad, is what <laughs> I'm saying. He's bad
1: and overrated, <laughs> and all of you should feel bad for saying he's good. Yeah, take that, sunshine. Clemson fans, at me. <laughs> Christ, you don't, want, you don't want that evil? <laughs> we know you listen. We know you're half our listenership.
0: I've, I've, I've dealt with them numerous times. I can tell you <laughs> you don't want that. <laughs> anyway, uh, Dan, anything else before we go?
1: No, do LSU. <laughs> <laughs> I like agree. legitimately though, I'm rooting. I shouldn't be rooting for LSU. I know like ACC solidarity and whatnot. Uh,
0: screw that shit. Go through it. Me. Like, go, go if, GA.
1: If this was GA. Alabama, like if this is Alabama, I could I could make the argument like, yeah, we don't need to see Alabama win. You don't really need to see Clemson winning, but at least like ACC, ACC. LSU is so much more fun than Clemson. Uh, trocho Burrow, all of these are better than what is offering us. Clemson will be around next year. Lawrence is back for another year. They'll plug in some like eight thousand more five stars. Go LSU. Go Tigers. Yeah, I agree. Go
0: G-E-A-U-X <laughs> is, is, is the only way uh, I, and I think most Syracuse fans at this point are, are leaning. If you decide to root for Clemson, sure, whatever. Um, I, I, I guess that's fun. Uh, but anyway, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noon's and Absolute Podcast. You rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Spotify, on TuneIn, on Stitcher, Uh, on numerous other services where you listen to us not blog talk (laughs) as we've established numerous times i actually edited it out last week thankfully (laughs) and go orange go orange